0: out to me like the end of the year and we just started working together and he was like, Megan, I have a situation. I have a deal and I can close a really smaller deal right now to get it in by the end of the quarter, which would make my sales leader happy. And I really have this number in mind for my year. It's like, you know, 200% of quota. But if I wait a month, this could be like a hundred thousand dollars more. And I'm like, well, wait, like, is that a question? <laughs> and you see where there's just so much pressure, but I will say like, it is really hard to get out of that mindset.
1: Hi friends. Welcome to the sales enablement podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Megan Misiak. Megan's the founder of her training and consulting venture called The Path to Presidents Club. Megan is one of the rising new voices in sales that I like to feature on the show, and she's part of the new generation of thought leaders and sales leaders who are shaping the future of selling and the sales profession. In our conversation today, we talk about a wide range of topics, including the work Megan is doing to train sellers how to harness the power of the MEDIC framework to help them win more deals by more effectively working with their buyers. Now, we get into all this and much, much more, but before we get to Megan, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to it, and I want to remind you to check out my most recent book, Sell Without Selling Out. It describes a modern, human-centric framework for increasing your win rates and shortening decision cycles without having to use the salesy behaviors that buyers really hate. It's available everywhere you shop for books, online, and in stores. Okay, let's jump into it. Megan, welcome back to the show.
0: Thank you for having me, as always.
1: Yeah, good to see you. So, uh, people aren't familiar with you. Tell us what you do. Tell us a little bit about you.
0: Hey, so um, I'm Megan Mishak, and I run a company called The Path to Presidents Club. Um, So, I do a combination of sales coaching, right, for both corporate clients. Um, I have a few one-on-one clients. And something new that I'm launching is bringing group training, Um, forming a group coaching program for the first time, which I think is really exciting. Um, So I do really help people um, get to President's Club. That could be uh, a a few things, right? It could be a literal President's Club trip, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure you've been on a few. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it's also figuring out what President's Club means to people. Is it mastery? Is it um, getting a promotion? Or is it also even for top performers having more balance in their lives?
1: Right. Right. So, um, yeah, that's funny. Uh, connecting president's club to balance in your life. Usually people think if you have to hit president's club, you got to grind.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm reading your book right now and I'm not, I'm going to admit I haven't read the whole thing because I read one line, I highlight it and then I, I start to read the next line and I can't because there's so much happening in my brain. <laughs> you know, it inspires so much and like you talk a lot about how uh, most of the top performers I work with, they yes, want to hit compensation levels. they they want they have certain goals, right? Like it could be 200 mm-hmm. percent quota, 300 percent quota, bigger deals. Um, but I also find that a lot of them are kind of de, um, they're, they're really disillusioned with the idea of, okay, like you, you hit all these crazy levels of success. Now just work harder.
1: Just do it again. (laughs) Just
0: do it again. So I, yeah, it's funny. A lot of people that work with me, they, one of the coaching clients told me I wasn't prepared for all of the mindset shifts that were required in our part of the work. Right.
2: Mm -hmm. Even
0: Mm -hmm. just being asked, what is your goal? You know, is it, and like, and the more important question is like, why is that a goal for you? So um, it's interesting. A lot of people aren't asked that.
1: Right. What is your goal? Not, not what is the Mm -hmm. goal, the company assigned to you, but what is your goal? Yes.
0: Yeah. They're like hitting quota, obviously. And you're like, okay, well, what if, I mean, I've also worked with a lot of people where the quota is unrealistic, unattainable or Mm -hmm. people who are hitting three X quota, over and over and over, it's like, whew, that, that, that goal is meaningless, you right. know? And I think that's also top performers, I find, are most underserved by internal training, right? Because most of the time, internal training is designed to get m- the majority of the people to that level. It's not to, it doesn't usually help top performers get to the next level of their success.
1: True. What's well, our interesting conundrum? Because... Yeah. yeah. read all the time on LinkedIn, people complaining, like when we're talking about coaching, and there's people make comments. It's like, well, you know, managers have more time to coach uh, top performers if they weren't spending so much time doing with the bottom. And my experience is really working with companies and sales leaders for a long time has been really just the opposite, is that, that sales leaders actually spend a disproportionate amount of their time with the top performers, because I think that's where they're going to succeed. Mm-hmm. And, and I, yeah. But but you're but you're right. It's the training sort of geared to those yeah. who are up and coming and not the top. But on the other hand, I think the top people get more of the one-on-one attention that should be spread more evenly throughout the teams, typically.
0: Yeah, and that's a good point, right? I think it's like we think about management and we think about training and development. And I think that distinction is the key there, because I think most top performers are getting management, right? Where, how can we close these deals? Yes. How can we, it's not on developing their skills or developing them. And I think a lot of like top performers, there is just so much focus on the goal and the deals. And even their time is spent training other people or coaching or mentoring other people, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's, it, and I think a lot of times they're like, don't be selfish, but I think everyone should be selfish because then you have top performers who they're unhappy because they can't get to the next level. So they go to another company and a lot of people reach out to me because they're like, I'm tired of just jumping from company to company, trying to find resources. But what I find is that it's more of a systemic issue. It's 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 more common across all of the the companies. Right.
1: Well, but it does, you raise an interesting issue, which one that we talked about more and more recently on the show is, though, is is that if sellers are jumping from company to company to find somebody to be able to help them progress in their career, is they need to be more discerning about what they're jumping into before they make that leap.
0: Yeah. And I think the harder part is that even if you have that for a few years, it's really easy to outgrow your company, your manager, your even your mentors and your your like sometimes your mentees, right? So Absolutely. I think um, yeah, when we think even about longevity in your career, it can be really refreshing and helpful to go to a new role, but we also have to look at the cost of that, right? Like it 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 takes a there's a real cost of going into a new company, onboarding, mm-hmm. having to learn everything. Um, even if you're staying within the same industry, there's still, you know, a ding in terms of your compensation, your, um, even just, you know, getting from level to level. So it's really interesting. Um, I see a big trend of people investing in one-on-one coaching, just like you've offered. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I feel like, I feel like it was more of mentoring in the past, But even we have all of these sales trainers who they've been stuck over COVID and they're like, okay, what am I going to do over COVID? And it's even, you know, creating virtual programs. And I feel like coaching, external coaching, external one-on-ones, even outside of a mentoring, even more formal coaching is becoming a lot more common.
1: Interesting. Yeah, it should be. I mean, if if we have this situation where there's great acknowledgement that that, or I don't say great acknowledgement, but let's say almost a consensus on this idea that frontline managers who should be doing coaching aren't doing enough of it. And if that's the case, then yeah, companies should enable people to find coaching somewhere else.
0: Yeah, and I feel like I'm seeing a blend. Sometimes it's the seller saying, my company is going to support me and getting some external training. And I also see a lot of top performers who are simply saying, hey, in internal training and internal support is not enough. I hear a lot of times my manager is a great manager. They're just not a great coach. Um, so I even see a lot of top performers simply reaching out and even using their personal funds and saying, this is something I really need. And I don't know if I'm going to get it at any company, right? Um so, yeah. But I think that, that it is a good distinction because I do see a lot more people who have Things like um, uh, stipends for training for development. I mean, but there's also this huge burst of sales enablement and sales training, right? Like, I get probably I get so many messages in my inbox for people who are hiring internal roles. Right, and I'm I'm a little bit worried that it's not going to fulfill <laughs> um, everything that companies are expecting.
1: Well, I'm sure it, it won't. I mean, and that's yeah. not of fault of those programs, but it's just yeah, yeah it's sort of the nature of the beast, I think. Yeah, I mean, and I think part of the problem is, is, yeah, we see a huge growth in enablement and it becomes its own career path. The thing that's for me is always sort of a, a challenge is, well, how do you bring people along that career path who oftentimes that career path doesn't include having a sales role? I mean, um,
0: yes. This and has been I, a huge conversation on LinkedIn recently.
1: Oh really? I might have missed that, mm-hmm. but it's 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 a conversation worth having. I mean I don't think that Yeah. I don't think that necessarily that everybody that's that's into that role necessarily needs to have had um you know, X amount of time of sales experience. But I think in general it would be very useful for them too. I could see and I've talked about this recently is, is you know, we're sort of, sort of fixed in sort of the way we structure career paths for people in sales, especially mm-hmm. in the software world is, you know, SDRs, a certain number of SDRs. Hey, you're either going to go into uh, be an AE or maybe you'll go become an account manager or a CSM, depending on your you know, sort of outlook on life. But it's like, yeah, why don't we start cycling people through all these responsibilities? You know, why shouldn't somebody? As part of their career path. Spent time in enablement.
0: Well, I can tell you why a lot of people don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's probably going to be pretty obvious, but I mean, I've, one of the main reasons why I went and started my own company was because there's like very real uh, ceilings in terms of compensation, mm-hmm. even for like high level roles. Um, a lot of times you're working as one person, you're managing the entire team. For me, it was like a hundred salespeople. And I was also taking on responsibilities for the CS team. Mm -hmm. So it's like 200 people. And I had like incredible results from the program that I'm even like medic, the program I'm launching. Right. And I was told like, we don't just give away promotions. And I was like, this, this program, we, we doubled the best in case, uh, forecast. After one quarter of implementation Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, even when I go to these companies, it's like, well, that's the high end of our budget. And you're like, if, if you're looking for people who are skilled salespeople and have training experience and, and, and have those skills, why would they go into those roles? So what I find is that you have a lot of people who don't want to go into sales or maybe they try sales. They don't really like it. Um, and those are the people that are going into enablement roles, right? It's like, if you can't do, teach. And I feel like it's just, it's kind of setting this up for, six, for failure when why would salespeople listen to someone who hasn't sold or, you know, hasn't had success in sales? And when, when I, people ask me about enablement, people, they're like, yeah, I'm thinking about enablement. I'm a BDR and I don't really want to go into, I don't know if I want to go into sales, and I'm like, that imagine in a few years when, and especially with BDRs, they're usually more junior, they're less tenured, and sometimes they just tend to be younger as well. So I was like, if think about that, if going into a role, you're going to be so limited in your career as well. So it's not only, I feel like it's very limiting for these people that are going into these roles.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question because I, I, well, I think back to first company I worked for out of college, big tech company mm-hmm. uh, of the day, and yeah, going into a teaching role was sort of part of the career path for many people.
2: Yeah,
1: for advancement is it was sort of like the, your third step. You were a salesperson, you could be a then become a, a sales manager, and for the sales manager, for them, advancement. Yeah, there are sort of like two routes that are kind of popular. One is, yeah, go become part of the training organization for, you know, two years or whatever. You do your stint. Uh, then the other one was, yeah, uh, you, know, you go back to corporate and do a stint there. But, yeah. um, and then you come back out. And the people went, did their training gig. They came out, got a promotion. You'd become, typically become, uh, you know, branch managers. We had branch managers at the time, which were big jobs. Um, so I, to me, that worked.
0: I think that's a fantastic. I mean, my own experience. I went into sales, and I was working for a smaller company where we really had a challenge attracting and retaining salespeople. So I just started building a training program myself. Have to teach myself. Have to support other people coming to the organization, and I found that I loved it. You know, mm-hmm. it's a very natural path. I think for top performers, for for, for me. Um, you know, I was spending my nights and my weekends. It's like, I am a workaholic in a lot of ways, recovering workaholic.
1: Um,
0: You're just but, about before we
1: start recording. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because when I moved to New York, I got off, I was actually interviewing for sales roles and someone saw that I had some training experience and they're like, would you consider doing this full time? I was like, I didn't even know this was a full time role, mm. and you know, six or seven years ago, it wasn't really. It wasn't very common. Yeah,
1: widespread for sure. Yeah,
0: but my boss had actually come from PTC, from you know, bigger companies, so it was more common. And I definitely think that it kind of poses the question from two fronts, right? It poses a, a very important question of what should we look for in sales trainers, coaches, and the second question is, um, and that's kind of like personally, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a salesperson looking to, there's so many voices. Who should we think about trusting? Who should we uh, look to to help us accomplish our goals to supplement our managers and our mentors mm-hmm. and our peers? But also for companies, right? Who sh- what should the track be? And what, it's almost like, what should the requirements be? Because I see a lot of times where right now where enablement is such—it's going through such a boom, they're just looking for warm bodies. And I feel like we're really going to to hinder the future of sales enablement and even just sales training if we're just flooding it with people because we need people. And, that, and we're even just like the compensation levels of everything, which is a separate conversation. But I think that we're... Right. We're probably not we're probably doing a disservice to the the world of training and coaching if we're diluting it with so many people who don't really have experience. Um, that's that you know my big concern um, right. outside of even just choosing coaches. And as a sales trainer, I will say, I mean, I go through a lot of imposter syndrome. I mean, I feel like every day I'm like, I'm not Andy Paul. So what do I have to say? (laughs) But it's so funny because, um, you know, I know a lot of people, even like Jason Bay and I work very closely and we have a lot different experience. I work with, you know, we work with um, Scott Sambucci, very different experience. Mm -hmm. I work with so many people in this space and we all have very different experiences So even when you talk about experience, it can be very different, but all of us have sold. Um, So it's really interesting to think about the future of influence and experience and sales training. And I do think in the past, it was only open to people who, you know, were like top performers. And a lot of times it was also like, you're a top performer. So the training route would be to take the existing content And just train with it. Um, And it wasn't a great experience. You talk about in your book where you're like, you know, you go to the stuffy room Mm -hmm. and people like hammer you with things that are really salesy, very aggressive, very pushy. So I also think that this, um, I'm kind of contradicting myself because I'm like, you know, even if we broaden the experience or the requirements for experience, we can also, like Jason Bay has such a cool marketing background. That's mm-hmm. one thing I love about him i, I constantly pick his brain mm-hmm. um and that brings a lot to prospecting. so it is really interesting to to think about you know sales trainers today and and what makes a great sales trainer a great coach um and it probably is a very personal question as well like what do you need most out of that role?
1: no i think that's I think that's the case, and I think that's the point you made earlier is. is I think there's a role for company provided training, but not many companies have training departments or and even if they have enablement, they really don't have you know formal training programs and so on is is yes, yeah, why not give people stipends? I think that should be universal to say, Look, we're investing five thousand dollars a year in you or somebody something and you have to use it, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's one of the things we're gonna judge you on is is are you using it? We've gone out, we've vetted, you know, some number of things. If you have somebody else that you want to go to, maybe there's some you know, simple vetting process. I think companies are always gonna want some of that if they're gonna be paying for it. But there's a universe of of resources like yourself out there that people could tap into. Why insist that it has to all be done internally? And when certain mm-hmm. amount should be done internally, but a lot of it from an enrichment standpoint is beyond the skill set of the people that you have in enablement, which is not a criticism of them. It's just a big world and lots of different you know, needs people have. Yeah, I think every salesperson should have some budget that they can spend externally.
0: And that's a great point you make about that even coming from the world of enablement which I've been in for seven years. Um, it's really hard to even form programs that appeal to everyone when you look Mm -hmm. at, uh, and I think this is also the common trap um, and why we, we just, yeah, I critiqued earlier enablement programs. I've been in that role and I know when you're looking, you're like, okay, I, I've been in trainings where it, I, for example, I had to train people on like ad, like advertising, right? One, I knew nothing about advertising. We brought in a consultant to to train us for eight hours. And I had to put all of that into like a 30-minute training.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I looked in the crowd and I was like, oh, some people are looking at me like, mind blown. This, this foundation is so great. I literally had someone who was very experienced in that industry look during a training, stare at me, and roll their eyes. Yeah. And you're like... I'm never gonna win. So no. it's interesting to even figure out. Um, w- look, w- there's so many different options. Even um, Jason Baves' program, Outbound Squad, I love. And when people reach out to me, I focus more on discovery and more of the mid funnel sales process. Right. So once you, I, I always tell people, like once you create pipeline with Jason, mm-hmm. do you close pipeline with me. And it's really interesting that there's also so many more training programs that focus on. Um, really mastering certain parts of it. So it's exciting to see. And I also offer one-on-one coaching and some of the clients talk to me and they're like, I I talk to them about group coaching and they're like, no, I want a one-on-one coach. Like, I'm never going to do group coaching. I'm happy paying a premium and I'm not going to lie, I like one-on-one coaching. I think I have three or four coaches right now um, for different parts of my life. So I think it's really cool to see how We're not. uh, There's so many options that are really beyond the cookie cutter, one size fits all approach. So it's a really cool time in sales training.
1: Well, I think some of that sales. I have friends that own sales training companies, and I, yeah, they have valuable content, but to your point, not necessarily appropriate for everyone at the same time. Is yeah, as a enablement person running with responsibility for training up a a sales team. Yeah, I'd be more tempted to say, okay, well, what this training company does is great for this thirty you percent know, of the, the team. Yeah, and giving back this idea that I think is the right idea is, yeah, I'm going to give them a stipend as part of, so they can spend part of, part of that stipend on this training program instead of bringing those people in. It, you know, it could be online or or they go off-site, right? And then, yeah, for the other people, to your point, who would sit there be rolling their eyes because it was too basic, mm-hmm. they can go spend that stipend on something else.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting as well because um, even for smaller companies, uh, I actually started my, my personal experience with sales training at Sandler. And I was mm-hmm. very lucky. I actually had um, two trainers, um, Clint and Jim, Jim Marshall actually won awards for like, like countrywide awards for his coaching in, mm. in Sandler. Um, and they were incredible. And that's where I fell in love with sales training. And I learned a lot as a young seller, um, you know, early in my sales career, I feel like it's really good foundations. Um, just understanding the basics, right. Understanding pain, I have the pain funnel. Yeah. I still use upfront contracts in certain aspects of their training, Um, and at the same time, I also had, uh, people who I would go to the training every week. They would, they could probably run the training themselves. They would be like, I know this exercise. They'd be like, win all the games. Mm. And I would go on sales calls with them and they would just revert back to everything that they like should know not to do. (laughs) So it's also really interesting because we're, we're also in an interesting part of, um, sales training where we have more tools than ever before so you know tools for accountability um we have more data than ever before so we can use a test to actually get feedback but i kind of see them using being used for evil not necessarily good (laughs) (laughs) what i mean by that like control and especially compliance Mm -hmm. and i feel like there's so much of a focus on data versus development Mm-hmm. And you're like, what is the data supposed to be used for, right? Like, are we just collecting data? Um, but I feel like a good example is on Gong. I have a lot of uh, uh, when I was in full time enablement, I I had the marketing team. They're like, hey, can you let us know how many times people are actually using the script? And I was like, ooh, I can I say no? Like, I don't want to. I don't want to run this sure. report. I got a
1: paddle tail on people. Yes.
0: Yeah. And I'm like, there's so many better uses for it. Um, So I also think there's a really interesting place for people who are just burnt out from the company-led training programs, Mm -hmm. right? Including myself, who led them for a long time. Mm -hmm. What people don't see behind the scenes is the incredible pressure um, to – oh, gosh, there's so many things. There's just so much pressure, right, to do to – to do training, that is a checkbox. To yep. hold people accountable and to focus on compliance rather than development. There's so many things um, that you know I actively fought, but you're really freed from when you go outside of the company as well.
1: Well, I think it's, so it's part of the reason I think this idea of what I'm advocating for on the show, we'll talk more about it, I'm sure, is... is because it's been on my list of things to spend more time talking about on the show, is this idea of, yeah, unleashing the budget for enablement and training and giving people more discretion over how they spend it to help themselves develop. I know it feels threatening to sales leaders and perhaps some enablement people, but on the other hand, I think enablement could be an incredible resource to say, yeah, these are the resources that are out there. And point people in the right direction.
0: Yeah. And I think it's so interesting um, to have that perspective. And I think why a lot of people wouldn't explore that is because say most of the time, like CROs, they're used to managing sales managers. And you wouldn't have a sales manager who like goes outside of their team to do to like have bring someone else in to manage their team, right? Um, but when it comes to sales training, there's so much value in, for example, like working with some of the best, the, the most successful clients I work with, they have a robust sales enablement team and they're learning like as I'm doing the content that I've developed over years, they're enabling it, which mm-hmm. uh, what I mean by that is, you know, they're, they're taking it, they're, they're putting it into the systems, they're holding people accountable, they're, they're hosting sessions to dive deeper into the content and as you mentioned, they're also learning
1: themselves.
0: Right. And so, you know, I think it's also we're just expecting so much from one person. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've seen this um, this very, very famous TED talk about, like, how we hold our, our partners um, to these standards of, like, everything. You know, we want them to be mysterious as well as comfortable. And, like, a lot mm-hmm. of times those are very conflicting. I feel like mm-hmm. the same thing for sales enablement, sales trainers, where we we want them to be very experienced, but also we want to save money. Um, we want them to be a prospecting specialist as well as a negotiation and closing specialist. And like, mm-hmm. people are also human. And I feel like most, it kind of goes into the generalist versus specialist conversation as well. But I think we can learn a lot from specialists, especially that, as we talked about how how different people's needs are Mm -hmm. so I think it's it's really exciting it's really interesting to see how we have so many more specialized programs um that I think a lot of in the times in the past were only available to big companies and I'll say as a trainer it makes a lot more sense for for me to do corporate clients right where it's like hundred thousand dollars you do the training um and you know 30% 30% of people are engaged and you just, you make a lot of money. But what I also find is that I'm mean, going to talk to Jason May about this a lot. We both love working with one-on-one with people who are like the top, like it, the 30%, right? Mm-hmm. The people who are, are, are engaged, who really want to change, who really want to learn. So it's also more fulfilling for us as trainers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> those are more likely to be the people that, reach out for that type of support. Yeah. This is, I think, the, one of the reasons I think the, the value of sort of taking the stipend approach to how we train and enable sellers, meaning giving them more mm-hmm. control over it. It's, I think if you give people uh, sort of more skin in the game, not that mm-hmm. it's only their own money, but if they're obligated to actually invest it and use it, then perhaps people have had more sense of ownership over, over learning and improving. Right, because yeah, I work in my career twenty plus years uh, with my own company, uh, both consulting and doing a lot of coaching. And sure, yeah my my clients are people that are already successful.
2: Yeah, and um, and it's
1: and it's why is that? Well, it's because they're the ones that are most likely to see that yeah, I've got limitations and I want to get better and. Be more self aware uh, about it than others. And we just need to give, help develop that self awareness and more people, I think is the, the bottom line on that.
0: Yeah. And I think there, it's also fair to do a, a little bit of give to get. Um, I, when I went to Sandler, I actually negotiated it. There was a, an agreement that I went to Sandler, but I would bring it back to the company. And mm-hmm. I would do some training, right? Like each week I'd have a, a little office hour session where I would teach people what I learned. Right. And I think there's also some really cool opportunities there for knowledge share and also to hear what other people are focusing on. Mm-hmm. And and even to hear how they're internalizing it, how they're applying it to their role. It's actually really good for um, retention of that information, but Absolutely. also, yeah, I think like to have like 10 different sellers working on 10 different things, consuming 10 different um, trainings or methodologies or frameworks, like I think a lot of times that freaks us out from like a company perspective because yes. we're like, there's not going to be consistency. And I think we have gone so far, like way too far in terms of consistency and compliance. Yes. When. People used to be really attracted to sales because there was a lot of autonomy, and now, am I getting away from that? Well, and we've
1: gotten away from it. Yeah, a lot. And
0: I don't know about you, Andy, but like especially um, younger sellers that I talk to, they're always just asking me, like, "Tell me how to do it, how to do it, how to do it, how to you do, do it." And 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 I'm like, "Don't you want to know why or like how this mm-hmm. works?" And a really good example, I, I hope my, like, minty doesn't hear this. <laughs> um, he's going to kill me, but, like, I recommended good the name. work. <laughs> Use names, first and last. Um, we'll call him um, Jim. Mm-hmm. So Jim came to me, and I recommended the book Deep Work. Mm-hmm. And it was really That's funny good. because he texted me, at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning. He was like, so what do you even like about this book? And I'm like, oh, my God, where do I start? this is a book that's like changed my life and changed the way I work. And I finally, you know, I was talking to him, I was asking him questions and he was like, yeah, I just like, it's just a lot of psychology. And like, where's the point, where's the part where it gets to like how to do this. And he literally texted me and said, Oh wait, this is kind of the point of the book, isn't Mm -hmm. it? And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) to think and to be creative and to even give yourself the space to test to experiment to mm-hmm. think deeply and i do think that's one of the things that we've lost in a lot of our sales training even in sales training being an enablement i was constantly told just tell people to do this and then hold them accountable right or my favorite can we just like give them a test <sighs> <laughs> I you're gonna laugh yeah yeah tests work wonderfully um i actually did you know there were sometimes i just had to say yes to things so one of my my favorite uh tests that we ran we like had a new product i someone developed a test for it the next day i walked in the office pre-covid and i see all these pods of salespeople and i'm like what are they doing You know, like we usually have a lot of, you know, knowledge Mm -hmm. here and everything, but like not this specific. So I look over their shoulder and they're like, okay, next question. Da, 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 da. Someone would go command F, like someone else had their, the screen open with the, the content and they were just doing the test together. Yeah. And I'm like, there's no value in this. And I think we've really lost the art of creativity, the art of failure, the art of Critical thinking and creative thinking, and a lot yeah. of training does just focus on that. And so, I think there's a lot of other, um, a, a lot of benefits of opening that up.
1: Yeah, you and know, no, I, I agree a thousand percent. as you know, for you read my book. I mean, it's one of the real themes in it is that yeah we are in a profession that really rewards creativity, rewards experimentation, rewards non-compliance with. Uh, overly prescriptive processes, and in the in the process of doing that, we're you know handcuffing the ability of people to really develop into their best selves. Um, and it's yeah, I mean it's there's a great book called Barking Up the Wrong Tree, written by a guy named Eric Barker. And yeah. It's it's uh, that subtitle something like Everything You Thought You Know About Success But Was Wrong, basically. But in there, he he cites a study that was done of class valedictorians. And the study was was being a valedictorian, a predictor of success outside of school. And what the study found over a course of years was the answer was no. That it wasn't a great predictor of success. Because what valedictorians did is they knew the process. They knew the system. Yeah. They knew what they had to do to be considered a success within that system. They knew the rules of the game. And, yeah. You know, so within high school or within college, you know, <laughs> knew the rules, what it took to get A's and to get rise to the top of the class. It didn't translate well into real world because the rules aren't as clear cut. or I mean, sometimes aren't even evident. Yeah. And so when we force salespeople to be so compliant to a a process, we're setting them up for failure. Because we're saying, this is the way the world works. And guess what? It rarely does work that way.
0: Yeah, and I think that this is so short-sighted as well, and we could talk for days about this, but I mean, it makes sense because most sales leaders are held to quarterly results, right? Like, I always ask my clients, I'm like, why do you think your manager is pressuring you? Why do you think their manager is pressuring them? Um, But when we actually look at long-term development, it really does pay to slow down and to really teach the skills instead of just the tactics. Because what I find is that if people don't learn critical thinking skills, I mean, you mentioned this book, they're going to get replaced by robots. Right, I love that you, you mentioned this in your book where you're like, um, when we think about the, the things that are going to get replaced, it's going to be just people who can give give talk tracks, right? right. Like, right. if you're just doing the work of marketing, right, um, that's obviously going to get replaced. And so yeah. we're also really building skills. Like, and I'll admit, it is hard. Um, you know, I recently worked with a client to, um, move from mid-market into enterprise. And he, he reached out to me like one, uh, one quarter. He was like, like the end of the year. And we just started working together and he was like, Megan, I have a situation. I have a deal and I can close a really, I can close a smaller deal right now to get it in by the end of the quarter, which would make my sales leader happy. Um, and you know i I really will have this number in mind for my year. It's like you know two hundred percent of quota, mm-hmm. but if I wait a month, this could be like a hundred thousand dollars more. and I'm like, well, wait, like, is that a question mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and And you see where there's just so much pressure, but I will say like, it is really hard to get out of that mindset to Mm -hmm. challenge norms. And you talk about a lot about this in the book where you're talking about how hard it is to challenge your sales leader. Like this is one of the main things I work on with my clients is how do you, how do you handle situations where your manager is telling you to do one thing and you, you totally, you have a lot of compassion for why they're coming from that perspective, you know, what's going on in their world But you also are like, this doesn't align to my values, right? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of, like, the main thing is, um, like, the speed, right? So many sales leaders today are just pushing to get to the next meeting or get, you know, close this deal as soon as possible. Or even, like, this weird end of quarter, let's close all of our deals now so we can share results. Even in, like, this manifested in my last company where um, they would push for oh my gosh such bad sales strategies <laughs> I'm dying um, when yeah, I first came to the organization I, 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 yeah just just wait um, when I first came to the organization they would show like first proposal call they would show the price then then they would say here's the discount if you can sign by next week mm-hmm. and I don't I mean you sold SaaS like deals don't get done in a week. And so the client's like, they also have never asked about the timeline um, right. or the need for a discount. And you're like, we're just leaving money on the table. And I feel like so many sellers know this and they feel this. This doesn't feel genuine, authentic. It doesn't feel like we're building real relationships. Selling
1: out. They're selling, selling, out. Out. selling out. Yeah, just putting and their own like, interest ahead of those of the buyer.
0: And I'm curious, I, I, I do feel like it has been – I feel in some ways that this is a new trend, right? Where with, um, for example, with you know quarterly earnings and in so many companies that have received funding. But I also look at, I mean, I watched um, the, uh, um, what is it, Glenn Gary, Glen Ross, Glen Ross, yeah, yeah, video of like the coffee is for closers, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh man, this is what we used to be held accountable to, right? Like super sleazy super salesy, right? Like this has always been a challenge.
1: Yeah. I would say that that as someone who's been around a long time, is the 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 degree of salesy has actually increased.
0: Interesting. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah. And not and not not by huge margins, but it's just in general, I think it's it's increased. And yeah, part of the reason I wrote the book is because mm-hmm. we're not getting better in this regard. So, yeah, and people have this thought as, like, everything was like Glenn, Clary, again Ross. And it's like, no. No, I mean, <laughs> it's, this is a persistent problem that's existed for a long time. And I said, I think mm-hmm. it arguably it's getting worse. Um,
0: and, you know, what's interesting about that is that especially as more training um, you know, systems and more consistency and compliance comes into play, I think we're going to get in this weird environment. we are probably already in it where people like differentiation is going to become even more important because I feel like so many people are using the same talk tracks, the same strategies. And even if they're good strategies, um, like for example, like, you know, personalization and relevance, like these are strategies that are great Except they're so misused, uh, and they're sure. so commonly used right. that again, it it brings up the point of how critical thinking and creativity are going to be so much more important, even as more you know compliance comes into play and more technology finding creative ways in is going to be such an important skill.
1: Well, I think it's finding as I write about the book, it's, it's really it's finding creative ways to differentiate yourself. Yeah, as a seller. Right, how are you creating mm-hmm. this experience for the buyer that's memorable um, in a positive way? That's supposed to be memorable in a negative way, um, because yeah, the in the mind's eye of the buyer, most products are interchangeable. So, if the products are interchangeable, on what basis do they make their decision?
0: Absolutely, it's you. You're and the buyer Yes, And I loved, oh my goodness, the line in your book where you said most buyers are buying in spite of you as a salesperson. I just cringed so hard. I like highlighted it and started it because I've been that buyer. I bought a, a system and I was like, I hate this salesperson and I never want to talk to this person again, but I really want this product. Mm-hmm. And I, I imagine this person like doing high fives and like Winning the deal and you know, doing the gong. And I was like, this person didn't learn anything. Like I gave feedback, but this person's not learning anything. No. Because the issue is that bad sales tactics still work. Sometimes they don't work as well. But this is also a huge issue where it's like, yeah, no, but but it's working. And I I literally have sales teams where um they had like one sales team that came to me, they had a 10% close rate.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And they're like, Yeah, it's working. And I was like, okay, um, I hate to burst your bubble, but that is super low close yeah. rate. <laughs> it's working more than zero, right. but it's, I wouldn't consider that working. And I feel like a lot of salespeople are feeling that, right? Like they're thinking oh, there absolutely. has to be a better way.
1: Yeah, but there's this inertia that they're confronting, the status quo. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, a bunch of people are coming to today and yesterday in a post I would posted about this um, on LinkedIn, which was yeah, was talking to a sales leader about my book, and he said, "Oh, you're so right. Yeah, that's it's so good." But but, but. I've got a number to hit that. You know, yeah, I think, "Oh, so what you're saying to me is that in order to hit your number, you got to be super salesy, and that's sort of what a lot of people think, right?"
2: Mm-hmm. And it's like
1: no. It's really the opposite of what you want to do, but we're stuck in this mode, and changes changes hard. Mm-hmm. Changes hard. It's for a lot of people so it's you know, something they're comfortable with. But you sort of, we're falling into sort of this sunk cost trap, which is we've invested in doing things this way, and look, it is working, not great.
2: Yeah. But
1: sunk cost theory says, well, what we'd do is we'd put more money into it right? If we just invest more money into it, it'll get better.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, yeah, the theory says no, it won't.
2: Yeah. And the, it's, this
1: is sort of where we are in sales. Is we've got a system mm-hmm. that's broken. It's not working the way it should. And what we're going to do is we're going to invest more in it in terms of resources, technology, and surely that will make it better. And it, it won't.
0: And it's so interesting because I think we've focused so much on scalability right mm-hmm. and, and i think to that point a lot of ease there's a difference between ease and easy and i think a lot of sales managers are hitting the easy button and you know the easy way is compliance and using tools to hold right. people accountable and doing and management right i feel like so many times i'm like why are we reviewing all of these deals with with sellers like in reviewing the numbers with them I was like why aren't we focusing on coaching and like asking them what their goals are and motivating them Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna be very upfront because it's not easy and I can I know you I know you too your book like it's not easy Mm -hmm. to really dig deep into what your goals are to fight leadership or as a leader to even do things differently, right? There is so much pressure. But in my experience, this is the work that helps people burst through. Like not only, I I feel like this is what the work, like even getting people to to hit 100, 150, 300% quota. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And especially when we think about like the 80-20 rule applied to like sales performers, right? I think it's so funny that um, these strategies work best with top performers because they actually stay with you and they're happy and they're more fulfilled. So I think it's also critical for sales leaders to, to think about these strategies and to invest in their people this way just as, as much as it's important for, for salespeople who are at those t- peak performance levels right. to... to, And I think a lot of them are doing some aspects, right? Because I don't think you get to top performers without strategies <laughs> like selling in. Right. But I think a lot of people don't have the full picture, right? They might be selling in in some ways. I sh- I'm i sorry. I'm so obsessed with your book.
1: Um, <laughs> oh, thank you.
0: I, I, I loved, (laughs) I think I starred like so many of the, you had this super easy chart selling in versus selling out. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is like a checklist for people, right? Because some ways they're doing some ways they're probably selling in. But I think the question is like, how can we also, how can you just get more of that checklist? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, Because I think a lot of people, even like the one of the coaching clients I talked to today He's like, yeah, I'm already doing a lot of champion enablement. Um, yeah, I'm already doing a lot of it. And I was like, okay, well, this is like the end of the deal. This is where we need to lean into it. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, the people that I work with year over year, it's never enough to just say, yeah, I'm doing a few things. Like, it's how can we consistently. Right. Go deeper and deeper. And what I find is laptop performers are saying, How can I like work less and less? How can I hu- not even work less? How can I hustle less?
1: Yeah. Which is a topic which is yeah, out there more and more these days. Um, yeah. Thank which, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. No, deservedly so. Is, is, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm trying to think. Yeah. Okay when did this really come up, right, this whole idea of sort of this hustle hustle culture? It's like, I mean, I spent my entire career in sales, travel. You want say
0: capitalism? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think it's just
1: pure capitalism. There's something else that's sort of come up from the last 10, 15, 20 years. It's just yeah. a little bit different in that regard. Um, yeah, people always worked hard. Um but there's just yeah, there's something about this this hustle ethos that um, is counterproductive, right? Because yeah. yeah, if you want to have a long career in this business, is yeah, I mean, you have to be able to act with urgency. You have to be able to to um, be responsive, but you also have to understand. you know, I spent years selling deals that took years, oftentimes, to close. So is that you got to have a little patience in here?
0: Yeah. And I'm I'm honestly just excited to see some different content, some different areas of focus. And someone called your book the new like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, or like How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I was like, mm-hmm. Yes, it is the new Bible of the 2020s. Um, and yeah, it's a lot of pressure, but I think it it holds up to that 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 name. But oh, I'm cool. also just seeing a lot of like a lot of great training programs. A lot of great coaching programs and a lot of opportunities for people to sell in and to learn not only the skills, but also the mindsets Mm -hmm. and the habits and get some support, right? From a coaching perspective, because we know that it's really hard to implement these things. So excited to see these coming out.
1: Yeah. Well, if people want to get in contact with you about your coaching programs, how can they do that?
0: Yeah. So, um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, my name is very unique, so it should be easy to find me, but you can also go to, um, www.path2topresidentsclub.com.
1: Excellent. All right. Well, Megan, thank you for joining me again.
0: Thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure.
1: Always fun. Yes. And, um, when's your book coming out?
0: I know. So my book is uh, being written. I feel okay. like you always, you keep pressuring me. I'm like, well, how can I write it when I'm not done with the story and I'm not done with the journey, you know? But you always tell me, you're like, it's – think about it like your bookshelf, you you're know, which the, the first shelf. one. That's right. Exactly. So I'm working on the pressure there but excited to start uh, building it out more.
1: Good. All right, Megan, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much. Talk to
1: you later. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Megan Misiak, for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And I want to thank you again for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.